turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 12, please. Hebrews chapter 12. Today we begin the red and blue Sunday school uh, campaign, you might say, and uh, the focus is on getting people under the Word of God. And uh, I heard one of those coordinators say something about green eggs a while ago. I don't know what in the world that is. If they're going to have green eggs, I'm not coming. But uh, you don't have to eat them. I don't know what that was about. But anyway, we're going to have a good time fellowshipping in the Lord and uh, just having a good time getting people under the Word of God. That's our commission. Go ye into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's our commission, called the Great Commission. And that's what the Sunday School is all about. And you'll look on the banner behind the choir and see one of the most beautiful themes in all the Word of God, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12 begins with an interesting statement. Wherefore, seeing we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We do not know for sure who wrote Hebrews, but it has the stamp of the Holy Spirit on every page. Hebrews is to the New Testament what Leviticus is to the Old Testament. The word blood appears 83 times in the book of Leviticus. It appears over and over again in the book of Hebrews, reminding us that the blood of Jesus is better than all the blood of the beasts on Jewish altars slain. Someone wrote a little verse. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or take away its stain. But Christ, our heavenly Lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name, a richer blood than they. And so the writer of Hebrews is connecting with chapter 11, the roll call of the faithful. And as we read it today, perhaps connecting us with our loved ones who have run the Christian race and have gone on and are the great grandstand of eternity looking down and cheering us to come on. It's interesting to hear about the Olympic Games over in Utah and how they've gone out on the mountains. And I've driven through those mountains trying to picture how in the world they would ever set up people, uh, bleachers for people to watch all that on those steep mountains. But, but you hear about all the skiing and all the ice and all the work there. And uh, they're running the race and hundreds and hundreds of people, not only out there in Utah, but around the world, thousands, maybe millions are watching. You and I find ourselves in the same place. We may not think we're in an Olympic race, but we really are. And this scripture says, seeing we're encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. 
Now, weights are not necessarily sins. They're just weights. When you run track in some groups of training groups, they put weights on their feet or legs or ankles, and they run as fast as they can against those weights. And then on the day of the race, they take the weights off, and they can run so much faster because the weights are gone. Now, you and I weigh ourselves down with weights of resentment and jealousy and enmity and resentments and holding old grudges. And then in our schedule, sometimes we weight ourselves down with excess baggage that really is so unimportant. When you compare it with eternal values, it means nothing. And so we're, we're reminded here, lay aside those weights. They may not be sins, but just weights. They cumber you down. And then he said, and the sin that doth so easily beset you. Every one of us has a weakness. In some people, it's temper. Well, you get mad and fly off the handle. Or in some people, it's a, a leftover thinking in your mind. You want to get even with somebody. And it just consumes everything. This is what leads to murder. This is what leads sometimes to young people going on a shooting spree. They get mad at their parents. They get mad at the world. They get mad at the, at the policeman. And so they say, I'm going to do it. I'll take care of it. That's a sin that does so easily beset. Other people have a sin of lust. They just have lust. They're eaten up with it, consumed with it. And, and this scripture says, take, just lay aside that sin that does so easily beset you. Find out what it is. The devil already knows. He tries to tempt you with it. God knows. Many times we don't even know what it is. We don't recognize it. And when we begin to recognize it, he says, lay it aside. Get rid of it. You don't need it. And then he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We have a lot of role models in the world. Some people have a role model of a daddy or a grandfather or a mother or a brother or sister or some some person out there that's been a blessing to you. They're a role model. And uh, you look to them. That's very good. But this scripture says we need to look to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. He is the author and finisher. He's the A and the Z. He's the beginning and the end. That's how you are saved. Look to the source of your salvation. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Well, as we think about that, and we think about looking unto Jesus, I want you to think about Francis A. Schaeffer. Years ago, he wrote a book called, How Should We Then Live? And in this book, he discusses all the civilization that we've known since ancient Rome, the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Age of Enlightenment, the rise of modern science, the breakdown of philosophy, the modern philosophy and modern theology, the modern art, music, literature, and films, our society, the manipulation, and the New Age movement. And in it, here's a quote that'll be a blessing to us. The special note for Christians. First, let us remember what is the hallmark of the present generation of humanistic thinking. It is the acceptance of the dichotomy, separation of optimism, about meaning and values from the area of reason. Once this separation is accomplished, 
what an individual puts in the area of non-reason is incidental. The mark of the present form of humanistic thinking is existential mythology. As Christians, we must not slip into our own form of existential methodology. We do this if we try to keep hold of the value system, the meaning system, the religious matters given in the Bible, while playing down what the Bible affirms about the cosmos, history, and specific commands and morals. We are following our own form of existential methodology if we put what the Bible says about the cosmos, history, and absolute commands in morals in the realms of the culturally oriented. In other words, we just blame it on culture. If we do this, the generation which follows will certainly be undercut as far as historic Christianity is concerned. But also, if we ourselves bear the central mark of our generation, we cannot at this moment in history be the voice we should be to our poor and fractured generation. We cannot be the restorative salt which Christians are supposed to be to their generation and their culture if in regard to the Scripture we too are marked by existential methodology. And what has he said there in pretty intellectual terms? He's saying, if you assume that a certain goal, a certain degree, a certain standards, standard of morals and ethical behavior is just culture. And we've come beyond that culture. Every culture changes every three years, they say. And so you've come beyond that culture and you're adopting the culture of today. After a while, tomorrow's generation will go beyond that culture and that culture and culture. And finally, you'll say, well, those are just old fogies that believe what the Bible says. So what I ask you today, what I want to ask you to do is to look to Jesus. Not, not to modern technology, as valuable as it is. Not to modern culture. You know, we live in a strange age. The culture today says, don't bother to get married. Just live together and see if you're compatible. The culture today says, if, if it feels good, do it. Make a difference what it is. Just do it. That's today's culture. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says we're to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You and I have a faith that will stand the tests of time if we allow the Holy Spirit to interpret it to us day by day. That's the reason for the family altar. That's the reason for reading our Bible every day, not just once a week or not once a year or say, well, I read it through years ago and I've got all it has to give me. No, you read the Bible day by day by day because the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God. And for just a moment or two, I want to give you these areas of suggestion that we look unto Jesus in regard to prayer. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. And when we go along just following human reasoning or human counsel. You know, we meet a problem. The first thing we do, we go to somebody and say, what should I do about this thing? Well, that's all right. We need counsel. We need advice from godly people. But also we need to pray. Prayer can give us keys to understanding that we don't get anywhere else. Jesus said, whatsoever you ask in faith, believing you shall receive. 
In the Sunday school lesson today, we were studying about two blind men. And they came to Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy upon us. <laughs> and Jesus, not abruptly, not in an arrogant way, but he said, what do you want? Indicating they needed to be specific. And sometimes our prayers are not specific. We just come and say, Lord, please help me. Well, sometimes that's the only words we can get out. We don't know how to pray any other way. In Romans 8, we sometimes get to a point where we do not know the words to use in prayer. And the Holy Spirit then interprets our heart to the Lord. But God says you need to be specific. And so Jesus said to those two blind men, what do you want? What is it that I can do for you? They got right to the point. They said, Lord, that we may receive our sight. And Jesus touched their eyes, and they were healed. But they had to ask before they received. You have not because you ask not. Looking unto Jesus in our prayer life, praying about everything, praying about our home, our mother, our daddy, our father, our, our our husband, our wife, our children, our job, <clears throat> our money, our banks, the president, praying about our troops in Afghanistan, praying about everything. More things can be accomplished through prayer. Look unto Jesus in regard to our prayer. And then secondly, looking unto Jesus in regard to our body. This book says that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Now, there are two thoughts about this. Number one, demand all you can of your body because most of us use less than 50% of what it's able to produce. So I said, most people go through life never using 60% of their brain power. So we need to find out the areas that we're not using and exercise them and use them. Our muscles get flabby. They're of no use to us if we don't exercise and use them. So with our mind, so with our thinking. On the other hand, it is important that we not demand so much of our body that we go into frustration. I'm gonna give you the example of Elijah. Elijah was one of God's great men, great servant. <laughs> There's hardly anything he couldn't do. He called down fire from heaven, and the fire came and licked up all those sacrifices of the false prophets. He said to Ahab one day, it's not going to rain for three years, and it won't rain again until I tell it to rain. You know why he could say that? Because God told him to say that. And he went and hid himself. And in those years of activity, one day he said to King Ahab, the dogs are going to lick your blood up and the dogs are going to eat Jezebel. That's a pretty strong statement. Well, anyway, Jezebel decided to kill him. You know what Elijah did? That strong, powerful Elijah got unnerved. I don't criticize him. He was fatigued. He was exhausted. He had given all he could for years and years and years. So he ran down to Horeb. He stopped under a juniper tree. You know what God said? You mean old honorary cuss? No, God didn't do that. 
God gently said, take some sleep, get some rest. He slept a while. He woke up, he was hungry, and God sent some ravens to feed him. Then God said, take another nap. I want to tell you, our God is a gentle God. He does not treat his subjects with scorn. He loves us. And so fine when Elijah got feeling better. God said, Elijah, I've got something else for you to do. I've got a big job for you. A little different, but a big job. I want you to go anoint a new king in, in Syria, a new king in Israel. And then, Elijah, you're going to be called to heaven soon. I want you to appoint a prophet who will be in your place. Elijah was given time to do that. And then you know what happened on his coronation day? Elisha was with him. And Elijah said, Elisha, if you'll be with me when God takes me, you'll have a double portion of my spirit. Elisha wouldn't leave him. He went to the Jordan River. They crossed the Jordan River, went over on the other side. And all of a sudden, God sent down a chariot of fire and in a whirlwind, put Elijah on board. Elijah went to heaven without the taste of death. That's how God treats his servants who have given and given and given and given and given. Don't demand so much of yourself that it puts you in despair. Don't demand so much of your thinking, of your time, of your energy, so much so that you go out of, out of a spiritual real thinking. Go into the realm of the unreal. <clears throat> Some to whom I speak this morning have given and given and given and given. And when you get to almost the breaking point, you feel guilty. You feel like, well, I just, I'm just not doing it right. You pray about it, and if God is leading you to do it, do it. And God will take care of you. Be not dismayed, whatever be tied. God will take care of you. So looking unto Jesus in regard to our body, looking unto Jesus in regard to holy living, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and God will receive us. You and I are a holy generation, a peculiar people. If you're saved today, you're not like the world. Now you may try to entertain yourself with the things of the world, and it'll make you spiritually sick. Some of you tried it. You get spiritually sick. You're trying to feed yourself on the garbage cans. You've heard me tell this story, but it's real to me. When we were little, we didn't have very much. There were seven of us trying to live in a two-room house. Our father was as faithful as he could be in working. It was during the Depression years, a lot of layoffs. My mother was a godly, godly woman. I don't know how she ever saved enough money to go through that time. But one day she found me out in the alley getting some watermelon rinds out of a garbage can. Our neighbors down the street seemed to have enough money to have watermelon. We never had it. She didn't ball me out. She didn't fuss at me. She just brought me into the house and said, I want you to go with me. She took me over to French's Grocery. She took some of the hard-earned, saved money and bought a big watermelon, brought it home, cut it. She 
said, I want you kids to know that you don't have to eat out of the garbage can. That taught me a tremendous lesson. Men and women today, you do not have to drink out of the garbage cans of this world. You don't have to go to the cesspools to get your entertainment. Guard your life. You're a holy person. You're somebody special. You're different. You don't have to get all those garbage things in your mind. Looking unto Jesus in our expectation, expectation of His glorious coming. Jesus is coming to earth again. I don't know the day or the hour, but He's coming. It could be today. And when He comes, those who are saved, those who are His, will be caught up together to be with the Lord in the air. But before we get caught up, the dead in Christ will rise first. And those that we have known and loved and they've gone to heaven, we're going to meet them again. And we'll have a new body, they'll have a new body, and we'll be with Christ forever, and gone will be all the misunderstandings, all the things that limited us here. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that great day the choir sang about a while ago. A great day coming, a great day coming. But listen, that choir also said, when the saints and the sinners are parted right and left. Not everybody's going to heaven. We read so much today about how wonderful heaven is. Those men that guarded our, guided our planes into the buildings in New York were promised that the moment they died, they would be in heaven and they would have maidens looking after their needs and they'd be forever there. What a lie. What a lie. I want to tell you, you're sitting here in this auditorium, you're listening to a radio, you may not be going to heaven. You say, but wait a minute, preacher, that's an awful thing to say. No, heaven is only for a prepared people. It's a prepared place for a prepared people. How do you get your heart right? How do you get prepared? By faith in Jesus Christ. Because you see, when you receive Jesus into your heart, there's a miracle that takes place. God comes to live inside of you. It isn't just, here's a bunch of doctrines and I ascribe and I believe all this, I'll sign my name to it and it's okay. No, no, no. You have to receive somebody into your heart. It's sort of like getting married. You receive your wife or your husband into your heart. And you promise, I'll be loyal to you the rest of our lives. When you receive Christ, you may not be able to make the promise that he does, but he enables you and he comes in and he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you in your accident. I'll take care of your sickness. I'll be at the depot of death and take you safely across and place your hand in God's hand forever. You can't beat that. There's a great day coming. The saints and the sinners will be parted right and left. Are you ready for that day? Only through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was God. He came to offer himself a sin sacrifice for us. His blood was enough to cover our sins. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. And when he died, he was paying the price for my sins and yours. But three days later, he arose from the grave so that he's a living Savior. And you don't invite a dead Jew to come inside your heart. You invite the living Christ, the living Jesus who is alive forevermore to come and live his life in you. And then he lives his life through you. And what you do, you do for him, but he does it through you.
You can't beat that. So looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the goodness of God. We're grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy of our trust and our faith and our, and our confidence. We pray that today someone without Jesus, or someone who has confessed Christ but never done it openly, or someone who's been right on the brink, that they'll step over into Canaan's land and trust you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Number 154. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home, calling today, calling today. Would you let him call you? You see, you have to be quiet before him to let him speak to you. I've heard people say, well, I've never heard God speak to me because they were never quiet. I believe God has spoken to somebody this morning. If he's spoken to your heart, let him have his way, whatever it means. If you've never been saved, trust him as your savior. If you've been saved but have not confessed him openly, come and do that today. While we sing, Jesus is tenderly calling, will you come?